On today's Blue Bay Insights podcast, I'm joined by Mark Stacey, Cocoa Specialist and Senior Portfolio Manager on the Blue Bay Financial Capital Bond Strategy. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Morning, Anna. Thank you very much. Banks were deemed villains following the global financial crisis back in 2008, but have been a key part of the solution to the coronavirus pandemic. Can you talk us through this shift and what it means for investors? That's absolutely right, Anna. I mean, as a consequence of the financial crisis, uh, there's been a seismic shift, I would say, in how banks are both managed uh, and how they're regulated. But I think as a result of what happened back in 2008, banks have uh, pivoted to a huge degree in their business models and how they're managed. Today, if you look at how uh, banks are operated, there's a focus on net interest margin, on advisory business, on asset management. And so banks are are more utility-like today than they've uh, been in in, in the last 20 years. Uh, And uh, from that perspective, we're a lot more confident on the business models today than back then. But ultimately, I think the way banks are regulated, there's been a pivot from the regulator as well uh, in what they focus on and how they regulate banks. So from that perspective, the last 10 plus years have meant that uh, banks have had to shore up the amount of capital that they have uh, and the amount of liquidity that they have uh, to ensure that when we did enter the next cyclical downturn or economic recession, which is what we experienced in 2020, that no longer would uh, taxpayers or sovereigns need to bail out the banks. Um, In in actual fact, the the banks have shown incredible resilience over 2020 uh, in spite of the economic downturn. Uh, And actually what this has meant is is that banks, because of their position of strength, have provided uh, credits to the real economy. They've been used as a conduit for monetary and fiscal policy uh, and has been a key source of financing for both corporates and households over 2020. Uh, And so this is an opportunity for investors because Uh, Banks have obviously entered with uh, extremely strong and robust balance sheets uh, and their valuations are uh, attractive. Your investment approach has always focused on fundamentals. How are things looking right now? What's the situation with non-performing loans? Have we seen the peak or do you anticipate a pickup later this year? So what's interesting is in 2020, uh, we saw capital actually increase uh, over the year. Uh, And this was in conjunction with increased provisioning as a result of the pandemic. Uh, So we saw the cost of risk increase from what is typically 40 basis points a year to over 100 basis points for 2020. So when we look to 2021, we actually expect the cost of risk and provisioning to be lower than in 2020. And so that's not to say that we don't expect MPLs not to increase. We we certainly do think that they will increase. at an aggregate level, but we think that banks have actually been fairly prudent uh, in provisioning for these over the course of 2020. Now, when we think about how large MPLs could get, this to a large extent is going to um, uh, be a consequence of of the economic recovery and and how quick that happens. Um, And there's still a question mark, I think in Q1, given that lockdowns and restrictions have persisted, So to a large extent, the economic recovery will be important uh, to assess the scale of the MPLs for this year. Uh, And there's still a huge question mark, given the lockdowns and the restrictions have persisted in Q1, uh, that um, MPLs will will tick up slightly more than we expected. 
but what gives us confidence around uh, the ability for banks to be able to withstand this rise in NPLs is really just looking at the buffers that we have. Um, and when we take the stress tests that were conducted by the ECB uh, in the middle of last year at, at what was probably the height uh, of the uh, fears around the pandemic and, and economic projections were at their harshest, uh, we saw then that even in the baseline stress scenario, where the cost of risk was 200 basis points, so double what, what banks have uh, taken in, uh, in 2020, even if it was 200 basis points over the next two years, uh, in that environment, the pre-provision earnings that banks would be able to earn would offset that higher cost of risk. And so there would be no drop in capital in the ECB baseline scenario. Uh, and so what cost of risk would we need to see in the absolute worst case to see uh, a level uh, at which coupons uh, may be interrupted or, or restricted to some degree. Uh, and that's a cost of risk of 633 basis points. Now that is a, a cost of risk, which is 50% greater uh, than the worst three-year cost of risk experience on record. It, it exceeds far more than what we saw in the, in the early nineties, which was around four. Uh, in 2001, 2002, uh, we saw around 2% in cost of risk. And even during the, the financial crisis, uh, where the cost of risk was, uh, was, was between 3 and 4%, uh, this would be a, a material higher cost of risk than then. In a world of rising inflation and swathes of negative yielding debt, bank capital in the form of additional tier ones seems to be offering something of a sweet spot to investors. In your view, what's the potential opportunity here? Valuations uh, are, are still uh, pretty attractive uh, in, uh, in our minds when it comes to European Bank A tier one. And as you said, they do represent the sweet spot within the capital structure. If we look at, if we look at valuations, I, I think you could, it's fair to say that, that many asset classes uh, have rebounded extremely strongly since the lows of Q1 in 2020. Um, but when we look at eight-year one, we're still 57 basis points wider than, uh, than when we started uh, in 2020 and 100 basis points wider than uh, the tights that we got to in, in around about February time. So there's still a pre-pandemic premium to be captured within the asset class. Uh, it's also an asset class that isn't impacted um, by QE purchases directly. This is uh, an asset class that obviously isn't being purchased by central banks. Uh, and so you could argue that uh, the spreads are not artificially um, tight because of, uh, of central bank intervention. Uh, the other point to, to make is that you're able to achieve 4.5% uh, in dollar terms in IG rated issuers. Uh, now, this is in excess of what you get for high yield names and, and for even EM corporates. Uh, and yet you're achieving this in what are investment grade rated issuers issuers that are typically systemically important national champion banks that are uh, extremely important for the economic recovery and will uh, have support from policymakers and regulators and central banks alike. And then lastly, when we look within the bank's capital structure um, and subordinated debt, uh, it's, uh, it's A tier one picks up 258 basis points versus low tier two. Uh, and, uh, and as I said, the, uh, the sort of risks inherent in ATA1 we think are uh, not justified in a 258 basis point differential. If anything, that should be more like a 50, maybe 100 basis point differential. And so again, 
uh, an element of compression that we expect to play out. Looking out across 2020, where do you see the greatest alpha potential? Yeah, so uh, I think this is uh, something that we focus on uh, every year and there's there's always issuer selection uh, is incredibly important. I think investing in the best in class, systemically important banks uh, that play an integral role in financing the economy. Uh, and these damn banks are, are typically profitable, well-capitalized uh, and have ample liquidity. And so focusing on on, on those banks uh, and, uh, and moving down the capital structure into the eight-year one um, part of the, the the structure makes the most sense to us. Regional selection again has, uh, has has generated alpha for us in the past, and I think taking advantage of the mispricing between various regions has been a course a core source of alpha. And so the UK, Italy, Spain look relatively attractive in this regard. Equally, there's opportunity in in currency selection as well. So this is not to say we take any outright FX exposure, uh, but when we look at various issuers and the different denominated currencies of their bonds, there's uh, usually a, a huge opportunity here. If I take uh, a euro bond, for example, that trades wider than dollar bonds and spread, uh, and yet when you swap that euro bond into a dollar yield, uh, you're still picking up uh, 85, 90 basis points of extra yield uh, in that particular bond versus the, the dollar equivalent. Uh, and this opportunity has is, is, is rarely evolved over the last sort of two, three years. There were points uh, in time when you were picking up as much as 3%. three percent. Now it's, uh, it's as much as, uh, as, as 0.85 or 0.9%. But equally, this still presents an opportunity and we, we see a lot of value in euro and sterling denominated bonds. And then lastly, structures. Uh, as we've said, AT1 is, is certainly the sweet spot uh, where we consider the risks versus the potential upside against other parts of the capital structure as being... Um, uh, as being attractive um, and taking advantage of the nuances between the different structures within ATR1 has proven to be successful for us in the past. Uh, and we would uh, think that this would continue to be successful for us in the future. And in contrast to Alpha Potential, what are the possible risks that could challenge your core investment views this year? And when we think of risks, I think the main one for us would be the, the unwind of the uh, policy accommodation that we've seen before uh, we've seen an economic recovery really kick through uh, around the globe. Uh, and, and, and here we think that the, the risks are relatively low. Uh, we think that regulators and policymakers and lawmakers have, have really seen that the impact of the pandemic has, has been severe uh, and have acted with, with relative swiftness and coordinated response uh, in addressing it. In particular, as the, the pandemic was seen as, as, as no one's fault, there's, there's no moral hazard uh, in supporting the economy and supporting businesses uh, and banks in the way that they have. Um, but it's important that we allow the economic recovery to play out uh, and for there to be an element of recovery before we unwind. Uh, otherwise, you, you, you might see that financial conditions tighten uh, and that default rates pick up uh, in an accelerated fashion. So, so that would be a risk for us, albeit we think that this is uh, not the base case. The other element is, is maybe if we do have an economic recovery uh, that is extremely robust, that you will have a repricing of interest rates uh, and forward inflation expectations, which lead to a, a repricing of, of global government bond yields. Now, this is something that uh, we've seen uh, a taste of uh, in the past. And so we think that 
central banks will be acutely aware of, of that risk and the implications that it can have. And so uh, will perhaps be more forthcoming in, uh, in making sure that doesn't happen. But I think what gives us confidence is, is that uh, this is an asset class that typically should benefit uh, from higher interest rates, albeit if, if risk assets are selling off around volatility in interest rates, that, that's not good for any risk assets. But when we think of A-tier one, uh, higher interest rates uh, and steeper yield curves are, are good for banks. It's good for bank profitability. It's good for bank equity uh, and it's subordinated uh, bonds. It, it should be relatively good for uh, the higher beta uh, sort of senior equity um, part of the capital structure in A-tier one. Finally, your thoughts on positioning. Where do you think an allocation to cocoa bonds best sits within a broader portfolio? And who do you think should be looking at the asset class this year? I think any fixed income investor that has the ability to uh, invest in, in A tier one should be looking to do that. Uh, as I said, uh, you're getting higher yields than high yield uh, and emerging markets in investment grade names. So in that context, uh, if you're worried about higher interest rates, uh, this is probably a fixed income asset class that's, that's the least sensitive, uh, let's say, to, to higher interest rates. Uh, and you're getting higher yields than the, the fundamentally more challenged, in my opinion, high yield uh, and emerging market space. Mark, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Anna. This podcast may be issued by the following entities. In the European Economic Area, by Blue Bay Funds Management Company SA, the Manco, which is regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. In Germany and Italy, the Manco is operating under a branch passport pursuant to the Undertakings for Collective Investment in Transferable Securities Directive and the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive. In the United Kingdom, by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association as authorised by the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission. In the United States, by Blue Bay Asset Management USA LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. In Switzerland, by Blue Bay Asset Management AG, where the representative and paying agent is BNP Paribas Security Services, Paris, Sucursal de Zurich, Sonnenstrauss, 16, 8002, Zurich, Switzerland. The place of performance is at the registered office of the representative. The courts of the registered office of the Swiss representative shall have jurisdiction pertaining to claims in connection with the distribution of shares in Switzerland. The prospectus, the key investor information documents, where applicable, the articles of incorporation and any other applicable documents required, such as the annual or semi-annual reports, may be obtained free of charge from the representative in Switzerland. In Japan, by Blue Bay Asset Management International Limited, which is registered with the Kanto Local Finance Bureau of Ministry of Finance, Japan. In Australia, Blue Bay is exempt from the requirement to hold an Australian finance Financial Services Licence under the Corporations Act in respect of financial services as is regulated by the FCA under the laws of the UK, which differ from Australian laws. In Canada, BBAM LLP is not registered under securities laws and is relying on the international dealer exemption under applicable provincial securities legislation, which permits BBAM LLP to carry out certain specified dealer activities for those Canadian residents that qualify as a Canadian permitted client, as such term is defined under applicable securities legislation. The Blue Bay Group entities noted above are collectively referred to as Blue Bay within this document. The registrations and memberships noted should not be interpreted as an endorsement or approval of Blue Bay by the prospective licensing or registering authorities. The podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended nor should be interpreted as investment tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This product is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or 
representations with respect to the information contained within this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay. Copyright 2061 Blue Bay is a wholly owned subsidiary of RBC and BBAM LLP may be considered to be related and or connected to RBC and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of RBC, RBC GAM is a trademark of RBC. Blue Bay Funds Management Company SA Registered Office 4 Boulevard Royal L2449 Luxembourg. Company registered in Luxembourg number B88445. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, Registered Office 77 Groveton Street, London, W1K3JR, Partnership Registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of members of the Blue Bay Group and other important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.